Why would someone who's just been stabbed in the stomach not want help? Great question. I'd love to tell you because I witnessed this. Actually, an entire night of this, this meaning life or death situations where people in those situations refused help. But this is not really about those people whom I will tell you about. This is about you, my little blueberry muffin. Mm-hmm. You need to accept help and you need to ask for it. Speaking of which, can you please help me out and uh, give this a listen? Oh, so kind of you. Thank you very much. Her hair is curly. Her teeth are pearly. She's got an edge, but she's still pretty girly. Oh, oh. Nothing rhymes with Dahlia. Yes, I really saw someone who was just stabbed in the abdomen refuse help and other people in danger refuse help. But just quickly, before I get to that, hit that subscribe button or you could just gently caress it. You do you. I just don't want you to miss an episode, especially the upcoming episode with the world-renowned expert on addictions and trauma, Gabor Mate. We want everyone to know he is a healer. He gets you. He can help you. And you need help. We all do. But why don't we ask for it? Little story. So last night, it's 2 a.m. I can't sleep. I'm scrolling through videos. Maybe I can't sleep because I'm scrolling through videos, but I digress. And then came the crier. The reel you start watching that seems like nothing at first. And within 13 seconds, you're dehydrated after your eyes leak most of your body's water content. So you see this man in a video. He's just exiting a commuter train. He slips and his leg falls entirely into an impossibly narrow gap between the train and the platform. It is stuck. This is a nightmare and you are watching it. And another passenger immediately raises the alarm. Authorities try to pull the man out. It doesn't work. They ask passengers to step out of the train cars. Next thing you know, the passengers rally together and help push the six-car train in an effort to widen the gap. And that collective effort worked. The man pulls his leg out. This man never had to ask for help. People saw his emergency and the immediate danger. But that's the thing. Life isn't typically like that. People aren't standing by in a collective effort looking out to help you. But look what happens when they all put in an effort to do that. People can literally move mountains or trains, I suppose. So you need to ask for help. But that's not easy, is it? Well, neither is accepting help. Like that night I was telling you about with that stabbing, I went on a ride along with the police. And it all started when I met, or I guess found, Officer Goodhart. So I had this segment on my talk show called TGPF, Thank Good People Friday, where people would call in, tell us something nice, something kind, someone did for them that week. And so this one day, Bill calls in to share the story of his young son and an inner city police officer. He explains that his son was at the grocery store and this cop offered to buy him a loaf of bread. 
Bill's holding back tears as he's sharing this story. And he tells me, you know, life, life can be difficult at times. So this was very generous and this was very gracious. And I'm sitting there listening to Bill pour out his heart to me and all of these strangers who are listening. And I feel for Bill. And so I offer him a couple of tickets to take his son to this big carnival. I don't know what to do. I just want to do something. And then someone else calls in a stranger and offers Bill $100 so he can enjoy the midway and all the treats there with his kid. Then another stranger calls in and offers WWE tickets for Bill to have another night out with his son. And so the kindness continued to grow exponentially, all because a cop bought a kid a loaf of bread, all because one person helped one other person. But it didn't stop there. I went on a quest to find this anonymous Officer Goodhart, as he was now dubbed, and found him. But it didn't stop there. I also found many good-hearted officers but Damien, Officer Goodhart, or OGH as I call him because I'm cool like that, he invited me to ride along with the police <laughs> and I just can't continue any more sentences until I say how not cool I am. But he invites me to ride along with the police, bulletproof vest and all, or bulletproof proof dress in my case. So my shift would go from 4.30 p.m. to 2.30 a.m. and I'd be paired with two supervising police officers. Officer Don for the first half of my shift, Officer Corey for the next half, and I have to say I kind of feel cool calling this my shift. And by the by, yes, we did stop at a donut shop that night, but I only, I only got coffee. It's not like I'm a real cop or anything. So Don tells me this is a slow night. The nights are getting cooler and it takes a while for criminals to acclimatize, I guess. But I mean, you think that criminals are going to like cold just because you don't? So this slow night took us to scenes of John's sex trade workers, assaults, domestic violence, a suicidal individual, a stabbing, endangered children, people endangering themselves, a fentanyl overdose at a drug house, grand theft auto, a bar fight, just to name a few. A slow night. But every single case had one thing in common. The people who needed help didn't want help. Every victim that night showed me this. Don't want help. Even a woman screaming in agony within my reach on the sidewalk in front of a downtown hotel surrounded by police and paramedics who were trying to stop the bleeding from the stab wounds in her abdomen didn't want help. There were at least 20 first responders on the scene for her. And police let a stolen SUV whisk by them because the woman who needed help but didn't want help came first. 
I can take you through each incident that night. I can tell you about men who pay 13-year-old girls $20 for oral sex in the dirty back alleys. I can tell you about the 13-year-old girls in their suburban homes who go online and then get violated both online and offline. I can tell you about spending an hour at a drug house, multiple police units, fire and ambulance. So many resources for a drug overdose where vicious dogs that I swear someone trained them just to be vicious because also it's humans who make the dogs vicious, not the dogs. And vicious dogs were trained to keep these first responders away. And I could tell you about accompanying child and family service workers into a home at 1.30 a.m. where they suspected children were in danger. And one of the social workers says to me that another time she did this, someone held a gun to her head so she only feels safe when police can join her. But I don't even think that safe is the word because you just still can't feel safe in that situation. Still, Instead of detailing all of those incidents from that night, there were three key events that I want to tell you about. So Dawn and I are driving along and it's through this pretty seedy area and we see a couple of sex trade workers. He stops the car. I wouldn't even know they were sex trade workers, but I guess Dawn knows the people on the street or what to look out for. And he asks if he could just stop and talk to them for a second. And I don't even know where it came from, but one of them says, are you calling me peaches? She sort of stumbles away and then you kind of realize where that came from. And I'm thinking, okay well maybe she's afraid of dawn too and then after he gently approaches the other woman who's still standing right there and she says she's 29 but she looks much older life is not kind to her she is wearing black leggings this gray and white checkered fall jacket she's holding this black jacket and a big black purse and It just feels like she's just holding her whole life and wearing her whole life just right there on her person. So Don asks her the same question that he's led with all night when encountering someone. Are you okay? And she says, it's okay. We kind of watch each other's backs as her friend has pretty much disappeared at this point. This woman is very pleasant and she explains you know, she's just been doing this less than a month and she's kind of homeless right now. And so Dawn offers to take her somewhere to find a bed. And she says, no, 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 I'm good. So he tells her to stay safe and she says the same back to him. And it is clear that she is scared, but it's also clear she's doing the best she can. And a short while later, we find ourselves at this landlord-tenant altercation. You could tell that I spent a night with police because I would never really call it an altercation. But Officer Goodhart, he's there. And he and his partner, Megan, they're already on the scene. And even though these are pretty much the steepest stairs I've ever climbed, I would not even touch the railing. I was careful not to touch anything in that house. It reeked, it was filthy, and who knows what disease you can get from just touching things. So Megan and 
Officer Goodhart, tell me it's actually much cleaner than the last time they were there. The last time they were there. Mm -hmm. This is a repeated thing. And the two men involved in the squabble, so they've left. But the tenant left his girlfriend behind. And they're in the process of moving. And this place is filled with bags and boxes. And the girlfriend, she lights up a cigarette. And she says she's three or four months pregnant. She's not sure. And asks the officers if they can help her carry the boxes down. And so Megan says to her, you know you shouldn't smoke if you're pregnant. And she says, but I'm stressed. And Megan's pushing the issue and says, well, that's worse for the baby. You shouldn't smoke. And the pregnant woman says, I'm too stressed. She is doing the best she can. And so Officer Goodhart and Megan, they help her carry down the boxes. And Don kind of warns me not to help. He says, you might get bed bugs or something. Megan and Officer Goodhart are wearing like these special sort of gloves that have, I don't know, metal type of stuff in them or whatever. But but let's cut to a little bit later. And Don and I are driving along. And a woman stumbles across the street and nearly gets hit by the car in front of us. So he pulls over and asks, say it with me now, are you okay? Yes, typical Dawn, you know him well. So she says that she got kicked out of her family's party. She just wants to get back home. Dawn offers her a ride. He helps her into the back seat. And then this overpowering scent or stench of alcohol fills the cruiser. And in this short drive, we discover this woman is raising her grandson and her son surrendered his custody to her. She thinks her grandson is at some house party tonight, but she's not quite sure. So I tell her, seeing her situation, maybe you should take a couple of Advils when you get home, or maybe three. And Dawn says to me, something tells me her night isn't over yet. And so he drops her off, and I watch her stagger towards her door. And I'm thinking, this woman is doing the best she can. And later that night, Officer Corey and I attend this call, along with many other first responders, because a woman fell on her two-month-old's head. This is a result of an alleged, again, I clearly spent night with the cops, alleged domestic assault from the baby's father. And so the situation had progressed, for lack of a better word, when she went to her van full of her children and she was threatening suicide in front of them. And things got worse when this case ended up leading to that same house where Dawn and I dropped off the very intoxicated grandmother. And so I, I guess Dawn was right. Her night was far from over. And a few days later, I get a text from Officer Goodhart. And he says, here's something you were fortunate not to see that night. But I, I wish you would have seen this. It's a story about a three-and-a-half-year-old boy. We'll call him Sam. He lives in a 40-square-foot living space with his mom, who's addicted to meth. 
gang members hang out there while Sam is home. And the only food in the house was a box of cereal. And that night, Sam's mom had his dad over and they're having an argument. And so Officer Goodhart tells me that here's what hurts my heart and upsets me beyond explanation. Sam was the most charismatic, funny, personable, smart, and kind-hearted boy I've met on the job in my 11 years. And at one point, the three-and-a-half-year-old controlled the room of two officers and two adult parents at 1 a.m. And so he goes on to tell me that a few days later, Sam receives this care package with a bunch of food and goodies. You can figure out who gave it to him. Officer Goodhart. Okay, there. I still had to tell you. But while Sam woke up elated to find these treats, that elation quickly turns to tears and then cries of devastation because social workers had to remove him from his mother's custody. The drug dealers hiding in their washroom when Officer Goodhart arrived on his second visit were just part of the reason. And Sam's mom told Officer Goodhart that she's working towards fixing the situation. And while he told me he saw promise in her cooperation, he also sees this far too often. And after that night, I didn't even need to see this to know it existed. Yes, there are deeper reasons why these problems exist. There are socioeconomic reasons. There are reasons that really need to be handled by government and agencies and more people and help those in need. But There are also people who care about the people experiencing these problems. They want to help. They are also doing the best they can. We're all doing the best we can, but we'd all do better with a little help. Look, I remember when a paramedic's home, it burned down and she lost everything. And so I asked for help for her on my show. And then a man fighting cancer who could lose everything calls. He gives her $5,000. The anonymous angel wanted to give back to healthcare workers because of everything they had given him. And a mom of two tells me, I'm ashamed to ask for help. She says that she has supported her family for 40 years, and now her husband is sick. COVID wiped out her credit. And I share this on my show. And a stranger gives her a few hundred dollars. So generally speaking, look, you won't have this in your life. You're not going to have people announcing the help you need on air to all of these people. You're not going to have people policing around looking to help you. You will have to ask for it yourself. You know that man who got his leg stuck in that train platform gap? How he was saved by all of those passengers after he was saved? He rolled into the train and he didn't want to be seen. 
Obviously, yes. He just experienced trauma. But you could also see, and people said this, they saw he felt shame. And I get it. It's hard to ask for help. You're already helpless in whatever way when you're in a position where you need it. And now you're surrendering control to somebody else. And maybe, maybe you think your problem isn't the biggest one. Maybe you think your problem isn't that important. But let's say someone came to you with that exact same problem that you have and asked for help. Would you say, sorry, that's not worthy of getting help? No. There is no shame asking for help. There's hope. There's strength. And there's also the power of connection. Even the connection you get from knowing that someone cares, in such a disconnected world, that's a big part of what you need. Just, just watching that train video and seeing all of those people helping that man, there's a reason why it's viral. There's a reason why I lost like 70% of my body's water, which is pretty much all of it out of my eyes. Because you can see an everyday person on an average day helped by a horde of everyday people. And we long for that humanity. We long to even know it exists. And we've sort of been reprogrammed to step away from that humanity. But you can see in those key moments, in those moments of survival, humanity's instinct is to help. And the truth is, we all need help. All of us. And if each of us helped each other, it would help everyone. What you bring out of you when you ask for help, that, that fear that maybe you feel as though you will be abandoned, that fear that maybe nobody will respond to your call for help, that inner fear, whatever that trauma is, what you bring out of you just in asking for help will save you. And what you keep locked inside of you, like those fears, it will doom you. Talk to someone. Ask for help. Just the very act of asking can make a difference. And so that's it. That's all I've got for you today. What? I'm just learning like you are. A work in progress. What do I know? I'm just doing the best I can. And that is why I have booked the Gabor Mate on the podcast to help you out. His book, The Myth of Normal, Trauma, Illness, and Healing in a Toxic Culture is a must. And I added as many T's as possible to that because it is very mustly. I'll stop making up words now, but that's the only way that they get into the English language. And he will join us very soon. So check out his book. And if you have questions for Gabor, let me know. Come say hi, say help, say whatever you need. I'm serious. At Dahlia Kurtz on Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe. You don't want to miss Gabor's episode. 
And hey, you know what? I'm going to ask for help again. If you like this episode, can you please leave a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen? Now go on, go ahead, live and help live. And ask for help too. It may just change your life. Or it may just give you one extra review on your podcast. (laughs) I'll just, I'll show myself out. Thank you. Oh, oh, nothing rhymes without ya. Nothing rhymes without ya. Nothing rhymes without ya.